RadioInfluence.com. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. And I'm Jim's producer and sidekick, Seth Hurd. What a week for zone performers. Holy cow. Are you still riding off the uh, Super Bowl adrenaline? Uh, that was awesome. Uh, I, I need to check again today, see if Philly is still standing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that uh, celebration party is going to go for about 10 straight days in that city, uh, those yeah, fans. Mi- minimum. Uh, I've been to Philly so many times. What a deserved, uh, uh, just a, a deserved accolade for the city. And um, a pretty amazing Super Bowl that we had last week. You know, the interesting thing about that Super Bowl, everybody needs to go back and listen to last week's uh, episode with Scott Mitchell, former All-Pro. Uh, we had a premonition of what was going to happen. Uh, Scott had a prediction, and it unfolded, and I'm it unfolded, I should say. <laughs> uh, Nick Foles, uh, Scott predicted he would be in the zone, absolutely prepared, and of course, Nick Foles turned out to be the MVP. What a performance for a backup quarterback on the biggest stage. Zone performer. He was in the zone, Nick Foles. 28 for 43 passing, 373 yards. Keep in mind, this is for a guy that, except for really hardcore NFL fans, back in October, nobody knew who this guy was. And then he got a chance to step up on the national stage. Well, and, and then you say, wow, 300 yards on the, uh, on the biggest game. Come on, Brady had over 500 <laughs> yards, which is phenomenal. Brady had another typical Brady. Uh, but the Eagles... Defense finally uh, clamped down, uh, took the ball away from Brady uh, in the closing uh, minutes. But I still, and every, I think everybody in the world still thought the Hail Mary that uh, Brady threw with no time on the clock, everybody was like, uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. Fell short, but Brady definitely had his uh, zone performance. Uh, but how about halftime? Uh, whether you like Justin Timberlake or not, to be live on the biggest stage, to have a well-choreographed performance, it was flawless. And I do know he got a lot of flack because he had uh, uh, you know, a Prince dedication, but, and, and Timberlake had a contentious uh, relationship with Prince. Prince also didn't want holograms and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Timberlake's in Minnesota, home of uh, the great one, and uh, 
I thought it was a nice tribute, even though he did get some flack for it. And if we can just give a sh- uh, an in the zone shout out as well, I didn't realize until this year that stage gets set up in six minutes flat. So not only does Justin Timberlake have to be a peak performer, so many people around him for us to experience the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, he got a lot of uh, pushback because they felt the stage was too small. But, you know, obviously the stage was built to put up with speed, take down with speed. Uh, you know, the, the event is the Super Bowl football game, not the halftime show. But that halftime show, I mean, I, I was up and dancing and moving. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a great, great zone performance. And speaking of dancing and moving, I'm going to go number two and then number one. We'll put them in that order. Because there's not just a football game competition going wait, on. Wait a minute. Did you see me dance earlier? <laughs> I, I mean, I can dance. I mean, when the Dougie came out, I, I did the Dougie in front of the University of Illinois basketball team. I did. I called I bet out. they were a little surprised by that. Uh, yes, they were. That, uh, that a 60-some-year-old white guy was going to just uh, break them down, and I did. And uh, anyway, I like to dance, and uh, it, it is a zone... Uh, uh, it's his own thing to do to dance. And there was some dancing as, you know, the corporations of America competed for our attention during the commercials. Eli Manning and Odell Beckham redoing Dirty Dancing. That was funny. That was funny. I, 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 uh, they better back that up next year on the field, however, uh, I, because uh, definitely their career is not going to be dancing or choreographing of dancing but that was hysterical well I, i'm assuming that that wasn't all you know catching a fellow nfl player over your head i'm assuming that there were some wires or something involved and i was just thinking you know if i came in today and, and you were like you know i just want to have some fun i'm gonna pay you to catch an nfl player as he jumps on you and i'm like i don't know how much money's in your hand but i'm gonna need a lot more than that exactly. whatever it is yeah we're gonna need trappies and wires and all kinds kinds of stuff number one commercial as voted on by the fans the amazon Alexa commercial where Alexa loses her voice. That was hysterical. It, it really was. And that's also, there was another commercial. I don't know how well it did, but it was about AI, artificial intelligence. And I know in the next uh, months and years, AI will be in the zone. Uh, a little scary, a little 1984 kind of thing. But uh, yeah, what a funny commercial. Overall, just really fantastic night for America. You know, we don't get a whole lot of events where we get to just come together and all experience something together that we enjoy. And the fact that this is something you get to get together with your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, fantastic. And we actually give one more on-field shout out. I just wanted to point out that Eagles coach Doug Peterson was ranked the seventh of seven new NFL head coaches when he, when he got the, the gig. Talk to me about the self-belief it takes to not listen to the critics in in a moment like that. Well, you know, I tweeted this out. uh, Good fortune favors the bold. And it's very easy to be in his position and second guess yourself because of so many external critics. It's very easy to not be bold when the money's on the table. But he made some big fourth uh, down calls, which I think was a game changer. Uh, the pass, uh, uh, actually two foals was, you know, that, that'll be a highlight for decades uh, to come. But that takes courage, and uh, courage really is the byproduct of self-belief, not only in yourself about what to call and when to call, 
but also you put so much effort in with your team, you need to not only believe they can deliver the goods, you need to expect they can deliver the goods. And of course, in those big moments, you got to know it. I, I really believe that uh, was an intuitive call on his part. Of course, they were prepared, but you still have to have to have courage, guts, trust, uh, good fortune favors the bold. So hats off to him for sure. And I did see a quote from him that said, you know, teams who play conservatively, they wind up eight and eight. Uh, well, I, I, I think he's right. And I, I've been saying this quote for 40 some years, good fortune favors the bold. How does that relate to you and you and I? How does that relate? You know, we all have some dreams, but do we have the courage to really sit down, carve out some time, and prepare those dreams with a blueprint, a real, real detailed blueprint? That's number one. But then do you have the courage that tomorrow is 1-365th toward manifesting that blueprint? And that takes consistency, but consistency in being bold and not getting involved in minutia and details and what other people think. This comes back to dancing. I mean, if you really like to dance, you don't care what anybody thinks. You don't care. You, you just obviously, Eli Manning didn't care what anybody <laughs> thought. He's not the greatest dancer on the planet, but that's where courage takes place. And uh, good fortune favors the ball. That's a big takeaway from this game. And uh, put that under your arm as you're out manifesting your own personal blueprint. We're going to do a deep dive on this show on worry. And so when we look back at this weekend, of course, everything came out the way the Eagles wanted it, right? And as America, we have this amazing experience together. But if we were to back, you know, backtrack to like last Friday night, last Saturday, the players are under the hot lights of the press. They've got to answer a lot of questions. And maybe if you're a position player, you're just thinking about that matchup, right? Your, your position against the opposing player. But if you're Nick Foles or you're the coach, some tells me that it's at least tempting to be thinking about all of those scenarios that could go wrong. So, you know, what if? And, and maybe, maybe some of those scenarios have gone wrong in the past and like a pebble in the shoe, it's one of my books, but like a, a pebble in the shoe, uh, that can definitely trip you up on the biggest stage and cause you not to be bold because of that worry. And of course, the Eagles did lose, you know, arguably the up until that point MVP quarterback already this year. They could be worrying about as a team, well, what if we lose another quarterback on the biggest stage? Well, the and then game? Gronkowski also said, you know, I haven't made up my mind if I'm coming back. And he's obviously the go-to receiver for the Pats. I talked to someone from Boston this morning, Seth, and uh, he was worried. He was worried about, are there cracks, are there fissures within the Patriots? And I, I would have to say, probably not. Uh, but there is talk. Uh, there is scuttlebutt. You know, Belichick may go to the Giants. Uh, Brady said he's coming back. Uh, but are they going to draft a a new quarterback that hopefully will be groomed well under Brady's uh, guidance, and is Gronkowski coming back? So you can hear and feel worry. So um, at the end of the show, I'm going to reveal, if you're a worrier, and I've given so many seminars, Seth, I ask everybody the question, if you worry, raise your hand. 
90, 98% raise their hand. There's usually one guy that doesn't raise his hand, and I don't know what his deal is. Maybe it's, an, <laughs> you know, maybe it's an ego play, but only a handful in an audience of thousands will not raise their hand. So uh, if you worry, and maybe that's holding you back, I've got some guaranteed tips and tools on how to eliminate it. So if you're, uh, you'd like to eliminate being a warrior and become more of a Zoniac, uh, stay tuned. I'll reveal that right before the Zone Cafe. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to Jim Fannin's show, this worry thing, we haven't got to it yet. It's coming up. But this has been used in the Super Bowl, the Olympics, the World Series, and some of the most crucial business deals in the world. Now we're going to make it available to you for free here in uh, just a couple minutes. So that should be quite exciting. One more thing I want to say. You know, we talked about the zone, who's in the zone. And um, the zone is that purposeful, calm feeling where everything, uh, you have a feeling everything is going to go great for you. Uh, you don't have worry. You don't have doubt. Uh, but you do have a plan, and you have confidence that you can execute that plan. But the zone is physical not just mental. I mean, it really is peak performance. And I think that is the toughest thing to do. The Super Bowl, I need to be ready at 5.30 Central, 6.30 Eastern. When that game starts, I got to have my best. People have prepared for a lifetime for something like that. And that's why I am so excited, Seth, about having my next guest, my good friend, Dan O'Brien, Olympic gold medalist, who had to prepare four years in advance. And the Olympics, it's literally starting today uh, because Korea, South Korea, is a day ahead of us. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to see it uh, tomorrow on television. How many athletes? Right now, in Seoul, Korea, are freaked out. How many believe they are prepared? How many think uh, this one particular move, this one particular technique, some maybe a weakness, maybe a chink in their armor that they're worried about and they're going over and over? So having Dan O'Brien, a world champion, uh, Olympic uh, decathlete, and um, he knows all about worry and how not to worry so tell tell us a little bit about uh dan well first of all if you remember the 1996 olympics holy cow i mean they we pretty much built our identity <laughs> as the united states around the dan and dave decathlon uh rivalry seeing who's going to get the the olympic gold medal there the olympics are pretty grueling and pretty uncertain period and, you know i remember i think it was a couple of summer games ago you know, the, the men, a couple of the guys from the men's swimming team got food poisoning. The accommodations aren't particularly nice. Sometimes you have trouble sleeping. You're several time zones off. And on top of all of that, the decathlon is a particularly grueling event. So four track and six field events. So 10 total. You run four times and then you do the long jump, the high jump, the shot put, the discus throw, the javelin. And finally, the menacing pole vault, which takes you, you know, over 15 feet in the air with your head pointed at the ground. I, I got to tell you, I got a nap just going through those events in my mind. And uh, that's a lot of pressure. And if you have any, any worry, uh, you're definitely uh, not going to be successful. 
The one thing I, I want to talk about, Dan, is experience. And I've identified one unit of experience. Hopefully, uh, there's no worry in those. And those units of experience that we all have for any performance, there's the time before the event. So we got a lot of Olympians in South Korea. They've had four years to get ready for this event. And now here it is, the day of the event. Of course, a couple may be competing tomorrow or the next day. But pre-performance time. What do you do? How do you think? How do you prepare? Then there's the event itself. And of course, during the event, are you prepared to adjust? As you said, the, all kinds of things can go wrong. Food poisoning, can't get the food that you would like, even though you've transported food personally for you. Uh, it doesn't show up or it's inaccurate. Are you prepared to adjust the performance itself? Then you have the evaluation. And what I've learned about evaluating, you need to treat that like um, almost an imposter. Uh, treat uh, winning and losing the same. And you evaluate. And uh, with no emotion, evaluate objectively. And then you extract from that evaluation something to move forward so that you can prepare, prepare better. So the four parts of experience are pre-performance time, performance time, post-performance time, and then, of course, pre-performance time again after you've retooled. Now, do you have quality in these four parts of one unit of experience? This is why you can see a 20-something, 20-year-old person leading an international company. Then you've got a 40-year veteran who cannot do that. You say, wow, he's got 40 years of experience. The key here is not the quantity of your experiences, although that definitely can be a benefit. More importantly, it's about the quality of your experiences. Were you in the zone as you prepared? Were you in the zone when you prepared? And were you in the zone or were you just ticked off, upset, mad, and didn't learn a darn thing about your evaluation? Uh, were you in the zone when you evaluated? That's one of the biggest challenges I've had with every athlete. You know, when they win, yeah, let's, let's evaluate. Although some people are like, nah, why evaluate? I'm, I'm awesome. Uh, but uh, when you do evaluate, don't beat yourself up. Don't get upset. Don't worry. Uh, you know, you need to evaluate objectively. What is there to learn so that I can keep evolving and improving? And then can you take what you've learned and apply it in your next pre-performance? One unit of experience. So whatever you're doing in your life, you have performances, uh, preparing for a meeting, going to a PTA meeting, talking to teachers about your son or daughter. That's a performance. And be prepared with questions. Uh, in the meeting, make adjustments, ask more questions. And then what did the teachers really tell me after? Every human on this planet has one unit of experience in your career or in relationships or other facets of your life. Now, I think this is a good time to, to do a reminder of something that every Zoniac needs to be using every day, and that's the Reboot tool. So I'm guessing that if you pulled the Patriots in right now, there's still going to be a lot of emotions riding high over the loss. 
you talk to professional athletes after crucial moments where, as um, you know, one of one of the tennis players you worked with said, sometimes you just choke. That's it. And you got to be able to move past those emotions, right? Uh, so you need to reboot before you evaluate. Am I right on that? Yeah, you do. I mean, if you start carrying around your mistakes and you start carrying around your shoulda, coulda, woulda, obviously the three most dastardly people in any locker room is shoulda, coulda, and woulda. Those are three cousins that uh, will not help your performance. I should have done that. I could have done this in the first half. Uh, I, I would have done this, but this happened. Yeah, you need to eliminate that, Seth, completely. Be non-emotional in your valuation. That's been a big challenge with all the athletes I've coached, being able to evaluate with no emotion, very objectively, almost from a helicopter viewpoint, and uh, to figure out, what can I learn and what can I do to go forward? So let's talk about that reboot. Unless you're driving, and if you are driving, do this with your eyes open <laughs> for obvious, obvious reasons. Shut your eyes, unhinge your jaw, let your tongue kind of float in, inside your mouth. Take four or five deep breaths. Breathe through your nose, long inhale, and then a long exhale. Don't force the breathing, but you want to lower your breathing, hopefully in the six to eight breaths per minute or at least under 10 breaths per minute. And now see nothing but a dark screen. No future, no past. Be in the moment looking at a dark screen. So right now, let's just have a moment of silence. Now raise your head. Slightly above parallel, open your eyes, and send your energy across the room. Uh, obviously, with your eyes open driving, you'll send your energy to the car in front of you, the road in front of you, and then you have one word. Next, my next move, my next step, my next objective, my next goal, the reboot. The best athletes in the world that I've coached may reboot 8, 9, 10, 12 times during a performance. Tennis players are having five-hour matches. Golfers are having five, five and a half, sometimes even six in a major uh, hours of performing. I, I know coaching uh, golfers, they'll reboot. They have a little more time, obviously, than some sports. Uh, they'll reboot 8, 9, 10 times. Even if they're in the zone, you reboot. If, you, if you're aware that you're in the zone, you're not in the zone anymore. So just the awareness of it. So what, what should you do? Reboot. Turn your brain off. Shut your eyes. Dark screen. Then raise your chin above parallel. Open your eyes and send the energy. Now, I've had athletes reboot on the mound during the World Series in the Super Bowl between uh, offensive and defensive uh, uh, participation. So if I'm coaching a defensive lineman, which I have in the Super Bowl, uh, when the offense is on the field, he's sitting there, he reboots. He doesn't want to think about what he did. He needs to focus on what he needs to do. But for that few seconds, he needs to be. Just relax and be in the moment. The reboot. 
Uh, it's been around for 40-some years. It's a great tool. Now you have it. Reboot before you go home. Reboot before you go into a sales presentation. Uh, reboot anytime when you're thinking too much about the past, too much about the future, or you've literally been in the zone and you just became aware of it. And we're going to discuss the worry thing after the interview, but you know, if you're worried that you get thrown off of your game, like how many times has this happened in the working world where you've got a, a major moment where you got to be on, could be a sales pitch, could be a presentation, and man, something crosses your path. The IT guy comes up and he's cranky and yells at you and kind of gets rid of his stress into you. You don't have to worry about that affecting your performance if you're rebooting. I guess somebody right now that I'm coaching that uh, I've helped so many people prepare for a major exam, like an LSAT or, or you know, an exam to get into med school. So I've got someone right now, and I will tell you, there is worry. No question about it. And I'm there like a surgeon trying to extract and cut that worry out of the person. So visualization is going to help. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, so stay tuned. If you'd like to get rid of worry, this is the show for you. But I'm excited about talking to world champions. And uh, these are people that interest me. They're, they are abnormal. They have abnormal dreams. And they have abnormal thinking as they go after those dreams. So uh, stay tuned. We are going to be talking to a world champion, an amazing guy, uh, someone that's uh, been labeled the best athlete in the world. Seth, can you imagine? Well, I mean, Seth, if you were labeled the best athlete in the world, you'd be walking around differently. Yeah. Uh, you, right? Yeah. And, you know, he proved it across a range of events. He's not a guy that just succeeded in the 100-yard dash. Dan O'Brien is somebody that succeeded across a swath of events to lock down that gold medal in those world championships. Well, now let's welcome uh, world champion, uh, Olympic gold medalist, uh, good friend, Dan O'Brien. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. Hey, my pleasure to be here, Jim. It's always great to talk to you, and it's always fun because every time I talk to you, I get inspired and want to run out the door and... Uh, uh, run a marathon or make a bunch of money. <laughs> uh, well, well, maybe you can get ready for the next Olympics. Like, come on, let's do it. I know you still got that twenty-year-old body, that twenty-one-year-old body. So, uh, God, I tell you what, every time I watch the Olympics, and I, I was, I was pretty excited leading up to these games as well because all the same feelings come back. And the Olympics is such a great, a uh, great sporting event, but it's just, a, it's a great opportunity to showcase our youth in America. It really is, Dan, and uh, and I I've been to the Olympics. Obviously, you've won an Olympic gold medal. Uh, preparing four years in advance, you know, I have the B to A principle where you first need to see yourself being the champion. So, four years before you won your gold medal, uh, did you see yourself having that medal around your neck on the podium? Was that is that what you had in your mind four years before, or did that come a little bit later? You know, for me, it came a little bit later. Um, an Olympic, going to the Olympic Games, winning an Olympic medal is, is really a process. Um, and it, you know, the idea of it started when I was very young. 
I was watching the 1980 Olympic hockey team win the, win the gold medal. They beat the Russians. And at that time, I dreamt about it. Um, as I got into college, I thought, well, I'd love to wear the uniform. And I got an opportunity to wear the uniform. But it wasn't until I met some really influential people in my life that pointed me in the right direction. And, and you know, Jim, we talk about having that path and, and, and that blueprint of success. Um, I met Jackie Joyner Kersey and she convinced me that I should be a decathlete. And up to that point, I was a good decathlete. I was a good, really good athlete, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a decathlete. But after talking with Jackie Joyner Kersey, her husband, Bob, they convinced me that I could be the next Bruce Jenner. And literally three years later, I was a world champion. So, you know, it's just, it's moments that, uh, really some specific moments that make up you know, a lot of the successes I had as I got to the 92 Olympic trials and, and that year specifically, I was the favorite. I didn't, I didn't really plan on winning the Olympic gold medal that fast, but uh, I was in the spotlight. I was supposed to be the favorite. And as everybody knows, I didn't make that 1992 Olympic team. I fail in my process to, to make that team and win that gold. And I have to wait another four years, but I will say the day after I didn't make the Olympic team in 1992, I began thinking about wearing that medal. I began thinking about going to Atlanta, winning that Olympic gold medal on, on home soil in front of the American crowd. And you, and you know what, Dan? That's abnormal in a way, the day after. I mean, a lot of people, the day after they fail, oh, my gosh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Uh, thinking about what you did wrong, uh, obsessing over it, your missed opportunity, and you had none of that. That that actually inspired you. So the first time you really saw that medal around your neck was the day after failure. Is that true? Absolutely, because I felt left out. I felt like I missed an opportunity. And up to that point, I was, I was doing everything my coaches told me to do. I was preparing for success and I was dreaming of winning that gold medal. And after that got taken away, um, I didn't dream anymore. I was proactive. Uh, the people around me were pro proactive. My two coaches, we started to plan for that gold medal. We didn't dream about it. We were preparing for it. Oh, that's a big difference, and, uh, and that comes back to success is getting up one more time for defeat, and the key there is when you get back up, are you bringing with you what you've learned from your mistake or your failure, and are you getting up with that mindset, I will prevail? So what, what is an Olympian thinking? I mean, here it is, the day of the Olympics. Uh, because South Korea is one day in advance, the night before the Olympics starts, the night before you walk into that stadium, boy, what's going through your mind? Well, when athletes get to the get to the Olympic city that they're in, and they begin to go through those Olympic, they be, they they go through those Olympic opening ceremonies. Um, you know, the preparation certainly to compete has started before that, but it's that moment that 
it becomes real. You're there. You're wearing the uniform. You're representing the United States. And your competition is either the next day or it's a week from now or two weeks from now. But you know you're there. And so it, it, it's like this realization that hits you. It's like all the waiting's done now. What, what, you know, what do I, what do I do at this point? And an Olympic. So when I talk to people about watching the Olympics, or when I tell people about my Olympic journey, it's all preparing for your moment. Are you prepared for your moment? And some of these moments last a little longer than others, but some of them literally, you think about a hundred meter sprinter, it's 10 seconds and you're done. You're done. 10 seconds. So you, yeah. Or you're on to the next round or you're, or you're, or you're finished and you better be ready for that moment. So as, as people at home watch, these are months, years, hours put together just for these athletes to compete for just moments. And so, um, it's so important to be ready for your moment and your body's well, well tuned. You've eaten the right things. You, 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 you figured out how to develop great sleep patterns all so that you can be ready for your moment. Now you, you had, uh, how many world championships did you have under your belt the day of your Olympic uh, in, in Atlanta? How many world titles had you won? I had, I had won four world championships leading up there, two, two Goodwill Games gold medals and, and, five, and five U.S. titles. So I had, I had a lot of success and a, and a couple of world records. I had a lot of success, um, but I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but I had the only thing that I hadn't won was the Olympic gold medal. But you did have as not a, only a sense of belief because you knew the competition, you knew how many points uh, probably it would take to win, uh, accumulated points in all the 10 of your events. Uh, were you thinking about other people or were you 100%, I'm talking about competition, or were you totally in the moment as the champion uh, that just hadn't done it yet? What what was that mindset the night before the day of? Well, and I, Jim, I th I think that's interesting. That's the thing that I think was the biggest difference between 1992, when I didn't make the team and didn't win the gold that year, to 1996. I thought about in '92, early in my career, I used to think, well, who's that guy, and how good is he, and how fast is he going to run, and who's my competition in this and that event. In '96, all I did was think about myself. I thought about controlling my own emotions. I thought about controlling my own, my own destiny. I knew that the competition was mine to win or lose. And so all the, all the regulation, all, all the regulating, all the pressure was just put solely on me. And there were guys who rose to the challenge in 1996. There was a young German kid who had seven of the 10 events he had personal best. And it was very difficult for me to not look over there and go, Oh my gosh, what's Frank Boosman doing? Right. <laughs> you know, this kid's going out of his, out of his mind, but I was able just to stay in my lane, focus on what I had to focus on. And it really simplified things for me. Now the day of the Olympics, you have routines on when you're going to get up, what you're going to eat, how you're going to warm up, uh, you know, what you're going to do. How stringent and timeliness were those routines? 
Well, I got to Atlanta. It's interesting, Jim. I got to Atlanta almost two full weeks before I competed. Um, and in that time, I went to the opening ceremonies. Uh, I watched other people compete, uh, people like Amy Van Dyken and Tom Dolan. Um, I got to see the Magnificent Seven, the great the, the, the gymnast, win the Olympic gold medal. But my coaches and I, we made a point of, you know, getting up at 7.30. We were at the track at 9 o'clock. We got a couple hours worth of workouts in. And even a week out, I, I, did, a, I did a short competition. So we stayed in touch with all the training things that we needed to stay in touch with. Um, but the routine was, was everything. Obviously, it's not the same routine that I had when I lived, you know, when I was preparing months right. in advance for the Olympics. But we made a point of eating at the same times, getting up, going to bed. And, and certainly even, the, even where I stayed, I stayed in close proximity to the Olympic Stadium. I didn't, wanna, I didn't stay in the Olympic Village because it was a, it was a long drive. And I stayed literally blocks from the Olympic stadium so that if anything happened, I could get up and I could walk to the stadium. I was not going to miss any buses. <laughs> so routine was uh, routine was really, uh, was really paramount for me. Now, now the zone, which this show is all about the zone and how to get in the zone and stay in the zone. The longest I've seen uh, an individual locked, I mean, totally locked is 33 days. That's an inordinate long period of time. That's pretty unusual. But you want to be in that zone state during those moments of truth that you're calling it. I, I think those moments of truth are crucial. I've seen so many guys peak two months before, and I've seen people choke a performance, uh, choke a Wimbledon final, and then win a tournament two weeks later peaking too late. Uh, you can peak too early. You can peak too late. The goal is to – peak at the right time and place. I'm sure that was on your uh, uh, track coach's mindset on making sure you're not overly uh, ready and, and not under ready. Being in the zone, were you in, on, or near the zone once the games begin? Absolutely. And I think that goes back to the experience that I had four years earlier um, I was not in the zone when I didn't make the Olympic trials in 92, but a month after the Olympics, I was in the zone and I broke the, I broke the world record. But in 1996, um, I, I had so much experience up to that point. Um, I knew how to get in the zone and I, then I knew how to relax. The decathlon is two days of competition. I, I think if I'm in the zone for two full days, I'm exhausted. I needed to figure out, I needed to get up for the competition, take my rest. We had long television breaks. And so that's kind of the trick of the decathlon is not being up and too intense for that long period of time. But I, I had a nice peace and calm about me. The decathlon is, is really rather stressful because, um, because you, you know, you're, you're just on pins and needles the whole time and you're constantly moving. But, uh, but then all of a sudden somebody throws a three hour television break in and you know, you're, you're sitting in a locker room uh, for three hours before you can go out there and get your next competition. And so I, th I think that's where, that's where my greatest experience, uh, you know, my, my experience over a lot of those other competitors came in is that it was on much, much like the Super Bowl we saw last week, you know, Tom Brady says, this is two games. There's a first half, a long half, 
a long halftime and then a second a second game second half is a lot like a second game and so I, I knew that going into the Olympic Games. Yeah, that is an advantage for you. I'm sure uh, when people have breaks like that, and that that could be a rain delay in golf. Uh, it could it could be a, a rain delay in tennis where you've got a break. How many people worry during that break, and how many people can stay relaxed and enjoy the moment? Uh, we've got a. I've got a saying that uh, there's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now, and I, I think that's a foundation of happiness. When you were in Atlanta, did you have that? There's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now. Yeah, I really did have that. Um, you know, my competition, it's, it, was, it was interesting. You, I arrived in Atlanta, and I couldn't wait for it to be my turn. And then when it was my turn, it was so stressful, you couldn't wait for it to be over. And then when it was over, you thought, wow, that was so exciting and exhilarating. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, there's, there's a little bit of a love hate there. Um, but you know, you know, we talk about that routine and, and how important that is. And, and, you know, some of the roadblocks you encounter and, and, and there's, you know, no telling it's injuries, different things. One of the things that I had to overcome in Atlanta, Jim was, was three days before my competition, I was in Centennial Olympic Park. I was doing some promotional stuff for, for the Chamber of Commerce. I get home, I go to bed, I wake up the next day, and all the news is talking about how a bomb went off in Centennial Park. Oh, my God. And I thought, I remember that. I remember that so yeah. well. That was terrifying. And I thought, oh, no. Here come the delays. Here come the cancellations. You know, the FBI is going to come in They're, You know, this, they're going to, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I thought, there goes my moment. They're going to take my moment away from me. Um, you know, luckily they didn't, but for a minute there, I panicked and I thought, what is this going to do to the schedule? What is this going to do to, you know, to, to, to the time frame that I put in front of myself and, and the peak you know, the peaking training for these couple of days, what does that do? What does that do to me? And, uh, you know, my coaches and I got together and said, look, this doesn't change anything. And, and you know, a half a day later, we got confirmation that the games were going to go on and the schedule was not going to change. So with, during a performance, the key is being prepared to adjust, to, to adjust whatever. What, what happens, Dan? Have you had this experience where you're in a performance and the guy before you sets the world record. And all of a sudden, it's like uh, it starts to make you maybe try too hard. And, of course, TRY, I talk about that all the time to athletes, TRY, to ruin yourself, you know, to try too hard. Have you had that experience where you're out there and it's like, oh, my goodness, uh, such and such just posted uh, the world's best, and I've got to go out there and best it? Have you had that experience? I certainly have. And as a young athlete, you press and you try and you definitely try too hard. Um, you learn in the sport of track and field that the best results come when you feel like you've given a 90% effort, that your personal best world records happen. And you hear guys say, you know, I thought it was a good throw, but I didn't think it was my best ever. But the javelin just kept sailing and sailing. 
Um, so I, I knew this was going on in my competition. This young, this young kid who got the silver medal, Frank Boosman, he was having personal best after personal best. And in the javelin, which is the ninth event, he had like a 10 foot personal best. And I was a much better javelin thrower than he was, but he pops, you know, he pops a personal best over three meters, 10 feet. And that's farther than my personal best. And I'm thinking, I can't give up any ground to this guy. And I was up just a few throws later and coach and I, we made just some technical adjustments and I just, I really was able to relax, um, you know, do the things that I needed to do technically. And I managed to get a personal best myself, but when I was younger, that might've been a little bit difficult, but it was, it was being in the, being, having that experience, being in the moment. But I also used the, uh, used the people around me. I'm in the, I'm in Atlanta stadium, a hundred thousand people are cheering for Americans. Michael Johnson just won the gold medal in his gold shoes in the 200 meters. I was able to get those people on my side, get people rhythmically clapping. And, and I, and I, and I used really the enthusiasm that was going around that night to my benefit. Um, so again, it, it was, it was something that I had to learn from experience, but I have learned it the hard way as a young athlete. You know, that's uh, very interesting what you say. You know, the crowd does make a difference. They are the 12th man. You know, the Phillies fans last week were, <laughs> they were crazy. That's an understatement. Uh, I see that in so many sports where the fans do have an input. That's what make Tiger Woods so great. You know, he could get the entire gallery uh, uh, chasing uh, uh, chasing everything with him. And uh, that that's exciting. So now let's talk about another aspect of experience. That's evaluation. How easy is it or how difficult is it to evaluate with no emotion, very objectively, and extract something from that uh, without going into the past in a negative worry way? Is that challenging? It certainly is. Uh, it certainly is to, to look back on a performance that you, you know, you've underachieved or you've, or you've made mistakes. But I'll tell you, champions are able to do it. People and, that want to perfect champ- their craft. And, and champions do it whether they won or lost. I, I know I, I, I had one athlete I'm coaching, and uh, he was on a hot streak. And I remember coming up to a next performance, he goes, no, nah, I got this. He didn't want to evaluate his last performance. No, Jim, I played well. I'm playing out of my mind. You evaluated whether you won or lose. Did you evaluate the same as your career went on? Was was the evaluation uh, swift? Was it uh, objective? And was it non-emotional? Well, I don't think it was very swift, but it was certainly uh, it was certainly a you know it was certainly uh, truthful, truthful and honest because I had two very truthful and honest coaches, and and we took the time we took the time to do it. Um, after I didn't make the team in 92, we retooled our whole approach. When I won the gold in 96, we shook hands, looked at each other in the eye and said, that was a great average performance. Wow. We could have done, we, we certainly could have done better. It was good enough to win the gold medal. And, you know, that's something, you know, that's another topic as well. But I tell a lot of these athletes, 
a lot of times your averages will win out. You don't need the best performance of your life at the Olympic games to win the gold medal. You need to hit your averages and you need to do what you did to get there. So, um, but that, no, the and evaluation. That's, and that, and yeah. that's because everybody else can choke. You, you know, sometimes sure. uh, let them lose. You don't always have to win. Uh, yep. So, so you had a standard, a minimum requirement for a solid performance. That was your, you had a standard that you could measure yourself and you knew what it was. And for the most part, that was good enough to win. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Your standard? Absolutely. And it, it was because, you know, I was the world record holder. I was the world champion. And I knew that if I lived up to my standard, oftentimes, and unless somebody else had, had, a, had a performance of a lifetime that, I was, that, I, that if I did what I was supposed to do, then I was going to walk away with those competitions, that I was going to walk away with the, gold, with the gold medal in those competitions. It doesn't mean it wasn't easy. And it doesn't mean that I didn't fight at moments, fight myself and fight my fear uh, and fight my, you know, fight the fear of failure or, or, you know, have to, have to, have to pull out a great performance from time to time. But uh, I let my averages win out in the end. You know, Dan, you can be a champion in your sport, but that also doesn't mean you're a true champion, best husband you can be, best friend you can be. And I've got to know you over a long period of time, and I, I'm not here to just blow smoke at you, but I, I will tell you all my interactions, you're a champion off the field, off the track, out of the uh, announcing booth. And uh, I know that's important to you to be a champion in everything you do. And, and you're now influencing the next generation of track and field stars with your commentating. But I also know that you have a gym in uh, Scottsdale. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. Tell me the name of it. Uh, you've got people flying in from all over the country, all over the world, uh, to get your insight on how to do this, how to peak at the right time and right place. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing right now. You bet, Jimmy. You know, even as an athlete, uh, I've, I've, I've understood the importance of strategic partnerships. I had great coaches. I surrounded myself with great people. And here is a post, uh, here's, here's a, here's a, a post career, you know, post here in my post athletic career, I continue to partner with great people. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the uh, one of the gentlemen that I've worked with for years, his name's Ethan Banning, strength and conditioning coach. He's owned gyms around the valley. I've owned a, I've owned a couple of gyms here in the valley as well. But we partnered up and we own a gym called Triple Threat Performance, and that is um, located in north north uh, north central Scottsdale, Arizona, on Hayden Road. We train the housewife, we train the young athlete, aspiring athlete, elite athlete, and even the professional athlete. And we're at a new location. Uh, we're training a lot of baseball players as we get ready for spring training. And, you know, just a couple of the names of, of guys that we've worked with in the past, we, we helped uh, Pablo Sandoval lose 40 pounds a couple years in a row so that he could uh, sign some big contracts. We worked with guys like Simeon Rice and Levi, Levi Jones. Um, Ethan's background is, is as an offensive lineman, but he's a, he's a, he's a NSCA certified strength and 
conditioning coach. He works uh, he works in the summertime with the Carolina Panthers, but he spends all of his time here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, my my contribution is uh, certainly in the running and conditioning area, but uh, we've worked with high schools all over the valley. And I was a collegiate coach for eight years and really enjoyed that. Helped a couple of young ladies get to the Olympic Games, but I, I think my real passion is uh, just helping helping individuals become better athletes. Um, and with so with 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 high school sports and collegiate sports so competitive, um, you know we we find uh, we find that it's easy to make a pretty good living just helping prepare those athletes for their uh, for their different sports. And and I you know I I've had you out uh, obviously uh, you've been to Chicago with me and and uh, you've given uh, some speeches uh, from with me actually uh, so you're you're a great public speaker. If someone wanted to um, retain you to do a keynote, uh, do a presentation to their company, uh, how do they find Dan O'Brien? What, what's, uh, what website do we send them to, Dan? You know, people can find me at Dan uh, at danobryan.com. Uh, send me an email, Dan at danobryan.com. And Jim, uh, you know what I've what I've found over the years is uh, I've I've managed for the last twenty years to to tell my story not making the Olympic team coming back four years later, uh, being able to tell that story. And, and it's really a story of overcoming adversity. Um, but I've become an, I've become an expert on adversity. How do we deal with adversity? How do we, uh, how do we prepare for adversity? But I've got a nice presentation where I talk about, uh, 1992 having the fun with Dan and Dave and the whole Reebok commercials. And really, really Dave and I were the first reality stars. If you, if you really think back on it, cause what we were doing, was real. And so I talk about the whole Reebok campaign and, and, uh, but I also talk about, you know, the importance of health, fitness, and wellness and, and, uh, and the importance of, of participating in athletic in athletics when you're a young athlete. Well, a person that's an expert in adversity is definitely bathed in adversity before. So you're, you're no question in my mind, a world-class expert, world champion, Hey, Dan, I'm going to see you a little bit later on. Physically, you and I are going to meet up a little bit later on today. And uh, it's good to see you. Uh, I'm glad you're on the show. You're, you're my guest. Anytime you want to be on the show talking about the zone, talking about the score system, talking about peak performance, you're always welcome at the Jim Fannin Show. Hey, Dan, be in the zone like you always are. And I look forward to seeing you and talking to you soon. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks, Jim. You be well. What a true champion in every sense of the word. Yeah, this guy, uh, he knows how to prepare. He knows how to adjust. He knows how to evaluate. And he definitely knows how to retool. And uh, he's, he's an awesome guy. But I think he's even more than a world champion uh, track star. Uh, this guy is just a world-class person, and uh, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, man, I'm so happy to have him on the show, and I'm looking forward to seeing him a little bit later this afternoon, which, which, will, which will happen. So um, let's talk about worry, and more, more importantly, not worrying. We worry as humans, about most things that don't go right. So 
I fail at something. I fail on an academic test. It's going to impact my entire grade. And now that I had an 80 or a 70 on my grade, I now feel that that A that I want so badly is slipped away. And I'm concerned because having a B or worse, maybe I don't get into Harvard Med School. And I want to go to Harvard Med School. I want to be a doctor. And I think about it. I can't believe that. I knew those answers. And you have that inner dialogue of repeating the negative. So you strike out. Moment of truth. Base is loaded. Your team's down a couple of runs. Base hit ties the game, or maybe it's a walk-off and we win. But I fail. And I go home. I kick the dog. I don't want to talk to my wife. And I go to sleep visualizing what I did wrong. And I replay it. And then I replay it again. Now, if I have that replay within the last 30 minutes of sleep, that's going to be replayed 15 to 20 times while I'm sleeping. And that's going to embed that negative, especially if I do that over a few more days. Um, that's going to help manifest the one thing I don't want, that failure again. There's a little piece of skin on the inside of your mouth. There's a little piece on the right side and a little flap on the left side. Everybody's now checking your mouth. That little <laughs> I just did it. Actually. I, I yeah. saw you. I'm like, oh, good. I have two. I'm not you, weird. Yeah, you're good. You've got two. But... If you chew on the right side, on that skin, you're concerned about what's going to happen in the future, and you're probably thinking about a negative in the future. If you chew on the left side, you're replaying a negative that's happened. So that's a tell. So worry is when you take a negative vision in your mind, a negative picture, and you put it on a loop. Now, you may put it down for an hour, but you later come back to it. I can't believe she said that to me. Why would she say that to me? It's ridiculous. Why would she send me that text? And then I put it on a loop, and I, I why would she do that? God, it's ridiculous. What? And I do it again, and I do it again. Then I do something that all of us do. I take my available imagination and sprinkle it on that negative replay as if it's seasoning, and then I project it into the future. She wants to break up with me. I know it. What? I made that up. I used my imagination on a replay of something she said. Now, I'm talking about a re personal relationship. That's the essence. That's the rudiment. That's the real anatomy of what worry is. So how do you get rid of worry? If you don't go in the past, you will not worry. Okay, that's not easy to do. Most people, when they have a negative, they replay it. Be aware of your replays. If you replay it twice, you better reboot immediately. If you replay twice, now, hopefully, you don't replay the negative at all. And then you, you need to use the replacement tool 
but the replacement tool, you better prepare in advance. You will get ambushed to facilitate a negative worry. So what's the replacement? Dan O'Brien wearing a gold medal around his neck. Dan O'Brien being the world champion. Dan O'Brien being gold medalist. That vision can wake you up and put you to bed at night, that's for sure. But that vision also can be used to put on the screen of space in your mind to replace any negative. The negative keeps you in the ditch, keeps you in the trench. And the more you try to get out of it, the more difficult it is. What's the best way to get out of a trench or a ditch? Have somebody pull you out instead of trying to get out. We talked about that briefly with Dan. So that replacement could be a vision that you want, but it also could be a mentor image. I remember going back, and I had a horrible loss in tennis uh, as a kid, and immediately I put in my mind a picture of my mentor, Professor R.W. Ross, with a little tiny smile. didn't smile a lot, but he had a little smile on his face. And every time I picture, I'm doing it right now, I can see his face with that little smile. That makes me feel good. And there's no way I'm going to replay a negative with the mentor image in my mind. Replace what you don't want with what you do want, but you better have that replacement tool prepared long before a negative happens. Because worry happens in an instant, typically when you get ambushed. You just get ambushed. You get ambushed by a phone call, a text, an email, or you look at your P&L statement. You've had a great month, you think. Then you actually, from your CFO, you get your profit or loss statement. You're like, what the crap? Are you kidding me? And you go through it, and you see some negative numbers. You see some negative expenses. You see some low negative income line items. And then you replay it. Then you get into shoulda, coulda, woulda. And you keep replaying the negative. You replay the very thing that you don't want, a negative profit and loss statement. So replace it with what you do want. These visions, uh, Seth, they got to wake you up in the morning put you to bed at night, and be readily available to replace anything negative that you got ambushed with. And if you can do that, whether it's a vision about what you want or a mentor image, and, and you can visualize any, it could be your mom, it could be a deity, it could be Jesus Christ, it could be your faith, your religion, anything that you want to put that will lift you up, that's better than replaying a negative on a loop. Now, I'm going to go with an extreme example here because there are some times when you get brought in as a coach. Like, well, Frank, hold on. An extreme. All right. Do I need to sit down? <laughs> Maybe. Do I, do I need to breathe? <laughs> well, you know, there, there are times like Frank Thomas who brought, you know, you started working with him his rookie year. and He said, I want to go to the Hall of Fame. Right. But there's other times when you're brought in with a professional athlete. I used to be able to perform. I used to be clutch. Now I'm not. I'm guessing that maybe they've, really dug into worry and they've been holding on to that thing for years well and, and that's definitely a pebble in the shoe and a pebble of doubt pebble of fear pebble you know worry because you project it into the future 
that's what fear, that's really where fear is based. It's based on your imagination. It's not real. It's based on you replaying something over and over again and then using your imagination into the future. That, that causes trepidation. It causes you to not be bold when a moment of truth arises. It causes you to be apprehensive and approach things with doubt. So, um, yeah, we need to eliminate worry in our lives. These tools, they absolutely work. Uh, but, Seth, you got to practice them. And we're all awake, but we're not all aware. If I could see the printout of every one of your thoughts, uh, hopefully you wouldn't be arrested with, you know, with some of your thoughts. But if I could see a replay or a transcript of what anybody's thinking, I'm going to tell you what your challenge is. More than likely, there's a worry element in there because you kept replaying something you didn't want. And um, sounds easy to do. Well, it's not. That's why, you know, high 90% of the people in every audience that I've given, I ask the audience, if you worry, raise your hand. Everybody raises their hand, Seth. And I, I think worry is not only uh, a negative for performance, but it's almost like a toilet backing up. It's negative energy backing up. And that negative energy, if it's not released, it only knows one place to go. And it's going to hide not in the organs of your body. It's not going to hide in your skeleton system. It's going to hide in the muscles. If you push your finger into either side of your jaw, into the mandible, the muscles, or even up under the jaw bone, and you feel any soreness, any tenderness, that stress more than likely emanating from a worry vision you had in your mind from that uh, transcript, if you will, of your inner thoughts. And, and that's where it is. So that soreness is the result, backing up like a commode, all that negativity on you. You know, one of the things that Dan O'Brien said that really struck me uh, with the resounding truth, he got selfish in a good way. In a good way. He didn't think about other people. He didn't think about what they were going to do. And the other thing that I, I think helped Dan so much uh, to relieve himself of worry and stress, the goal was to reach a high daily standard. You know, coaching Frank Thomas his entire career and Mike Cameron his whole career and uh, so many athletes I've coached, you know, from cradle to grave their entire career, um, reaching a high daily standard over a long period of time, that's what greatness is. You know, we're jaded as, as uh, observers of American sports on television. Oh, my gosh, that was a great play. We're going to see that play, that pass to Foles in uh, the end zone. We're going to see that ad nauseum for the next decade and, and beyond. That's a great play. Does that mean Foles was, is a great quarterback? He's a good quarterback. He had a great moment. Now, he hits that high standard over the rest of his career. You can say, that's greatness. And that's why you have to take your hat off to Tom Brady. This guy 
is not only hit a high standard, which is most people's peak performance, but his standard, Tom Brady hits it every single practice, every single game, every big moment. You already know what you're going to get. You're going to get a solid performance. And even though this guy lost, wow, over 500 yards passing? That set the Super Bowl record in a losing effort. Uh, obviously, he's got an entire team, and you got the Eagles on the other side, but Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, in my opinion, based on that, that he's hit that standard day in, day out, and everybody knows what's going to happen. Tom's going to put down a Tom performance. That's greatness. So, you know, if you're coaching some kids or if you have kids that are playing in sports, getting in the zone, that's a byproduct of, byproduct of reaching your standards. So let's you don't have to be the best that you can be on that particular day. Uh, I've, I've always said uh, there's two ways to win. Well, one, you get in the zone, get your best, and beat the crap out of everybody. Okay, awesome. But the other way to win is hit a high standard and let them lose. How many people, right now in South Korea, how many people are going to choke like never before? Well over half of them, they're going to choke. Hit a high standard, let them lose. That's one way to win. And Dan O'Brien obviously is the epitome of that. So just to recap here, if I'm coming in fairly new to the Jim Fannin show and say, Jim, this man, this is a big vice to give up. You just got to start today, not worrying and doing the replacement tool, right? Yeah, you need to make that a part of your life. This is not about sports. Uh, This is about you personally and how you want to live your life. And the people that worry have more sickness, longer illnesses, probably less longevity. Uh, There's no place uh, in the champion uh, club, if you will, for the worry wart. So I've heard so many people, oh, I worry all the time they're laughing and almost like a badge of honor. And I'm like, really? Control what you can control. And the one thing I know everybody can control, uh, the score system is a thought management system. It's a self-management system. And uh, think about what you think about. We're all awake, but we're not all aware and the champion is aware of their thoughts, and that's what takes them to greatness. In just a moment, one of my favorite parts of the Jim Fannin Show, Ask Jim at jimfannin.com. That's askjim at jimfannin.com. We're going to stop by the mailbag, but real quick, a gift to you. Quick passage here from The Blueprint. You can search Jim Fannin on Amazon or wherever you buy books right now to pre-order. That's F-A-N-N-I-N. You might think this is an odd one for February, but I think this is a good reminder for us. Quarterly. There are obviously four quarters in every year. Challenge yourself each coming quarter. You can accomplish a lot in three months. Each quarter has inherent challenges. The first quarter, January, February, and March, launches your year. The quarter sets the tone. With renewed vigor and an annual plan, start this quarter focused and with purpose. So that stood out to me because we're into February. Uh, we are marching towards completing the first quarter of 2018. Well, you know, to to expound on that, and that it, we can go back to what Dan O'Brien said, 
it's it's about routines. You know, you want to lose weight in the first quarter of the year, you want to make X amount of dollars. What are your routines? Because the interesting thing about a routine, and, and I'm talking about a routine of thought, how you prepare for every performance. The average person, Seth, has 40 to 50 micro or macro performances every week. Could be a phone call, could be a meeting, could be a conference, uh, could be an interaction with your teenager about a subject that is important to both of you. Um, you need these routines because the thing about routines, Seth, you can pick them up and transport them city to city, situation, condition, and circumstance. So routines of how you prepare, adjust, evaluate, and prepare again, those are crucial in you being the best, genuine, authentic self that you can be. Let's do the mailbag here. Once again, ask Jim at jimfannon.com. New people coming in because probably somebody like you actually shared the show with them. Don't forget, if this is hitting home with you, if this Dan O'Brien interview really just sliced in and you're like, oh man, I really needed that. Who else needs this in your life? Who else needs to get in your zone, into the zone? Family, friends, your coworkers, your team at work. Share the podcast and also hit us up on social media with the moments that are, are really, really hitting home with you. So I would say this is kind of a newcomer question here. Hey, Jim, how long can I expect the zone to last? Well, that's a great question, and I, I, I briefly discussed it. The longest I've seen a human in the zone is 33 days. I've seen many athletes be in the zone a month, 28 days, 26 days. The thing about the zone, if you're in it, it's a minimum of 12 seconds. Now, don't ask me why the number 12. Uh, I've researched it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's 11 that day, but it's approximately 12 seconds. It's about the amount of time it takes to make one putt in golf. But the key is to thread those seconds over and over and elongate it like a rubber band. Now, that rubber band stretches based on your energy. If you have a lot of energy, you can stretch the band all the way out to 33 days, maybe longer than that. If you're low on energy, that rubber band's going to break soon. I'm in the zone, just like that, especially if I'm aware of it. I'm out of the zone. What takes away my energy to keep me from stretching that zone rubber band? Worry. Worry is the one element that will strip you of your energy. Again, it's like a commode backing up on you. And if you worry, being in the zone for 33 days, it ain't going to happen, Seth. It, it's not going to happen. It will uh, be too elusive for you. So the performers that have elongated the zone have a clear mind. They only go into the past for evaluation or analysis. And they only go into the future for strategic planning, strategy, tactics, goal setting. Otherwise, they're fully immersed in the moment. Uh, and of course, that becomes easier when you have routines. 
And we always send you back out into your week, your day, and your quarter as you march on towards your best year ever in 2018 by stopping by the Zone Cafe. I did this just a couple of days ago. We talk about you know keeping track of your score level, your score awareness. I went back to the Zone just two days ago and realized, man, I'm a little low on optimism right now. So we do this with you every week, but don't forget, this isn't just for the, the day of the Jim Fannin show. This is something you need to keep coming back to. And you can you know drive around the drive-in again and order for a different arena for your life. So you may need one thing at work. You may need one thing as a significant other. You may need one thing in your hobby or your passion. You can keep coming back to the Zone Cafe, which only has five things on the menu. So right now, I want you to get very selfish. This next segment is 100%. It's about you. It's about what you think. And it's about where you are right now as a performer in every aspect of your life. Just like Seth said, there's only five things on the menu at the Zone Cafe. So pull your car around, roll down your window. Seth and I, we're we're there cooking up whatever you need, and here are the five things. You can order a huge, fresh slab of self-discipline, the willingness, the commitment to stay with a task or a group of tasks to reach very well-defined goals that will lead to a vision. And that self-discipline could be applied to everything in your life, or as Seth said, maybe it's just for business, or maybe it's in a personal relationship. You can order that right now. Take it with you. I need more self-discipline. Thanks for the order. See you later. But you could order concentration, a big bowl of it, a heaping bowl of concentration. And that's the ability to focus mental and physical energy while you're executing each task or group of tasks that will take you to a well-defined goal or goals which lead you to your vision. So if you need focus, single-mindedness, you want more accuracy in your life, order right now a bowl of concentration. But maybe, maybe you need something even more. Maybe you need a basket full of optimism. That's the belief. That's the expectancy. That's a sense of knowing that every task that you've set can and will be executed And those execution of these routines will lead you to completing your goal. And that's going to take you to a vision. And you got confidence. You've got trust that that vision will be obtained. So if you need a a big shot of optimism, confidence, positive self-esteem, you need to place that order right now. And I know as soon as you drive away with it, you're going to raise your chin, put a smile on your face. You're going to feel good about it. Uh, if you're six feet two, you're going to be six feet eight uh, once you place that order. But just like today, Seth, maybe that's not the missing link because all of these five ingredients simultaneously balanced at a high state, it triggers natural chemicals, and that's when the zone arrives. Maybe you need ra- relaxation, and that's free from worry free from anxiety, and uh, even free from the need to do some, oh, I got to do this, I need to do it. Uh, 
that frustration that comes with that. Relaxation, that's being comfortable mentally and physically, breathing under 10 breaths per minute while you execute those tasks, while you achieve each and every one of your goals. And it's also the comfort that you can and will execute everything to lead to your vision or dream. So if you need relaxation in your life right now, place your order. Seth's cooking up uh, a whole bunch of relaxation for you. But maybe, maybe you need our happy meal. Maybe you need a little dopamine in your bloodstream, a little pep in your step, a little zest in your life. Maybe you need enjoyment. That's the fifth item on our menu. And that's the satisfaction and pleasure of executing every task every goal that's going to lead to your vision. And that puts a smile on your face. And even if you're facing with uh, adversity, I I had someone ask me, so I'm hanging on a cliff. I've got a 500-foot drop. I'm getting ready to lose my grip. Where does enjoyment come in right now? And my only answer is, it's the enjoyment for living. (laughs) It's the passion for living. And that is maybe all you need. Maybe you just need uh, the happy meal. Maybe you need some enjoyment. Maybe that's the missing link. Maybe you've been grinding it out a little too much. Maybe you've been pressing too much. Maybe you've been using the word T-R-Y too much. Too much self-discipline, too much concentration. You're going to have a lack of enjoyment. And you can order right now, right this second, at the Zone Cafe. What are you ordering, Seth? I'm ordering concentration this week, and I'm curious because you've got some positive challenges going on. you got a book coming out this month. You're, you know, you're meeting with multiple pro athletes in different sports. you got the media that wants to talk to you about the book. What are you ordering? Well, I'm getting ready to coach a city also. Seth, an entire city. <laughs> I, I'm going to coach an entire city. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, that's going to happen in May. I've got a lot on my plate, so uh, I, I'm going to order self-discipline, uh, the willingness and commitment to stay with uh, you know, the tasks and goals. And, and, and the key for me is uh, to not have too many goals. Uh, I, I know that my self-discipline planning is also going to bolster my concentration. I'm always optimistic. Uh, I, I'm pretty cool and relaxed. Uh, and I love life more than anything. So uh, I'm going to give myself a little more self-discipline and help me narrow my focus on just a f- few things in the upcoming days. So when you're really in those crucial moments, blinders on, go for it. Yeah, and I, and I need a, a blueprint, not only for my entire life, which I have, and I, I, I do have a blueprint uh, for the quarter, first quarter, but also I have a blueprint for tomorrow. Uh, never have a day I haven't already had. Uh, the, the blueprint's pretty small. Uh, there's only a few things I will accomplish tomorrow, but they're, they're going to be crucial in the stepping stones of where I want to go. Right now, I'll take some discipline. And the only form of discipline, Seth, is self-discipline. So everybody, you choose what you need. But just like Seth said at the top of this segment, do a score check. Come up to the Zone Cafe. It's your cafe. It's in your mind, that cafe. The awareness of what you need in the score chain fixes it 90% of the time. 
And, and, and don't forget, we're all awake on this journey in life, but we're not all aware. Think about what you think about. Let's go, USA. Let's have an awesome Winter Olympics. I hope it's safe. I hope it's productive. And I hope it's enjoyable for all the participants. But USA, USA, let's go Olympics. Let's get an entire country into the zone. Let's get in the zone. Until next week, be in the zone because it's definitely the only place to be. This is The Crush Report with Jeff Groeschel. Well, one of our top priorities is keeping kids involved in sport. The numbers are showing a different story, with 7 of 10 kids dropping out of organized sport by the age of 13. Clearly understanding why kids are dropping out of sport is the first step to fixing the problem. We spoke with John O'Sullivan, the founder and CEO of Changing the Game Project, about the pitfalls of early specialization. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we find out is those kids who go into one sport earlier, you know, they, they burn out, they drop out at a much higher rate. And one of the really scary bits of research that's coming out is, is that kids who drop out of sport at a young age, they don't come back to any sport ever. So, so we're not only losing them to a specific sport, but they just live unhealthier lives. And so it's so important that, you know, kids who, if we can keep kids active through that, you know, through that middle school age, they're far more likely just to be active adults and, and be healthier with all the benefits that gives them. So from a psychological standpoint, you know, when you lose ownership of something, um, when there's no enjoyment in it, there's no intrinsic motivation. Without intrinsic motivation, kids are going to go do something else that motivates them, like play video games. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.